We are embarking on a new six-week sermon series starting this weekend. Moses, in this story, starts to struggle with this. Who am I and whose am I? That's the whole point of the first couple chapters of Exodus. Who are you and whose are you and who's going to write this story of your life? Who are you going to let author the pages of your life story? When will it be time for you to discover what God wants to do with the rest of your life? To start seeing your life through heaven's eyes, through God's eyes. All right. Good morning, everybody. All right. It is good to see. We can bring the lights up a little bit more than that. It's kind of a dark day out there. There we go. Awesome. Just want to be able to see uh, everybody. We're really glad that you're here today. If this is your first time here, want to say uh, welcome. And if you're just getting uh, caught up or if you've been away for a while, I uh, just want to say to you this morning, welcome home. Welcome home. We are so glad uh, that you are here this morning. A couple years ago, well, actually several years ago, before we moved into this building, I walked through this car shop that we're sitting in, a uh, former car shop we're sitting in right now. And I, I was walking around with people and a couple of us looked up to the loft and uh, we looked out to kind of where we were thinking the lobby was going to be. And I said, I know this is just, guys, this is just crazy talk, okay? Someday we're not going to fit in this room. I was thinking like decades down the road, someday we're not going to fit. And I know this is a little crazy, but we're going to have people sitting in the loft for worship. And maybe the loft will fill up and then we'll have to put people all the way back to the wall in the lobby. So turn around and, and wave to the people back in the lobby. Wave them back there. There they are. Okay, now turn up there and wave to the people up in the loft. Loft people wave down there. There we go. We're all friends. Uh, and so God does pretty cool things. Amen? Uh, praise God for that. Absolutely. Praise God for a full house. Uh, today. We're really, really glad that you're here. So maybe this would be another opportune time to say, we're having a congregational meeting next weekend. You should come uh, so that we can make more space. Uh, it would be awesome to have you there as well. Praise God. And I want you to know, even though there may not be physically room all the time, there is always room for you in God's family. We love it that you're here. Don't stop inviting. Don't stop inviting, particularly don't stop inviting to the Saturday night service. We would love to have you there. And if you don't want to sit outside the restrooms, you could come on Saturday night. That'd be an awesome uh, plug. We'd love to have you as well. But if you are new today or if you missed last week, what you saw in the opening clip there, uh, that Pastor Mike got our, our new series kicked off last week called Which Way to the Promised Land. We started this series on the book of Exodus. We're really honing in on the story of Moses and his life as well. Moses was born as a Hebrew. Moses was born as a Hebrew baby in a land dominated by uh, Egypt and Pharaoh and gets placed in a, in a basket in the Nile River, gets found by Pharaoh's daughter, and eventually grows up to become the Egyptian prince, essentially Pharaoh's right-hand man. And when you think about it, in, in that day and age, nothing could be more unconventional. Nothing could be more out of the ordinary. Nothing could be more unconventional. Everybody say unconventional. I kind of dug into this word a little bit uh, this week, and one of the, the, the main definitions that I found is unconventional, something that is out of the ordinary in a way that attracts attention so as to bring about a response. It's purposely done to get a response, to move you, to, to, to catch you off guard, and I was thinking about that. We have an unconventional God, don't we? If, if you look at one of the reasons, many reasons I love the Old Testament is it's weird 
It's wacky. It doesn't always make sense. And isn't that God sometimes? I mean, if God made sense all the time, he would not be God. We would not be, we would, if we could get our heads around who he is, that would make us God. And that would also be bad. But I was thinking about this. Why does it matter that God is an unconventional God? Why does it matter that God takes ordinary things and make them, makes them extraordinary? Because I guarantee there's at least one, hopefully, but I'm guessing there's a few of us here this morning that feel ordinary. There's a few of us that hear these stories of the Bible and go, yeah, John, that's great. Those are Bible heroes and everything, but that's not me, and so this doesn't apply to my life. Exodus, are you kidding me? Boring. Snooze fest, right? This certainly can't apply to me. I am anything but ordinary, and we feel that way, but one of the reasons that I love the Old Testament in particular is just in the first few chapters here of the book of Exodus, God is anything but conventional. A baby in a basket floating down the river Today we're going to discover a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And in a couple weeks, we'll talk about God splitting an entire sea open and having people walk right through the middle of it. Exodus is anything but boring. The Old Testament is anything but boring, and it has so much to do with our lives. Anything but ordinary. Not just the circumstances, but anything but ordinary, the people that God will use. And that's because God's message to every single one of us this morning is this. I take ordinary things. And I take ordinary people, and I do something extraordinary. You need to hear that this morning. I take ordinary things and ordinary people, and I do something extraordinary. And that's not just Moses' story. It's your story. And today, we're going to find out why. So if you have your Bibles, again, turn to Exodus chapter 3 or your Bible app. Go ahead and take that out. I'll trust that you are tweeting about the sermon if you have your phone out or looking at your Bible app. So Exodus chapter 3, verse one is where we're going to be today. And so last week we spent most of our time in Exodus 1 and 2. And so we pick up the story today in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So let's pause there for a second. This doesn't make a lot of sense if you're following along especially if you're following along with the daily Bible readings or anything uh, like that. By the way, I'm sorry. I need to stay on this side of the stage so you guys can see me. Sorry. I disappear behind the wall. Um, it's really important to know that a lot has happened in just a one, one or two chapters here. So when we left off, Moses was Pharaoh's right-hand person. And everybody thought he was an Egyptian. He was the prince of Egypt. And now a chapter later, he's tending sheep. Like, what happened? It's important to know that in between last week and this week, here's what happened. Moses, who's really a Hebrew, is watching his people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, be enslaved and, and be treated terribly by these Egyptian slave masters. One day he sees one of his own people getting beaten by an Egyptian slave master and ends up, Moses has an anger problem, as some of us do, and he takes it to the point where he kills this Egyptian slave master. And so he uh, finds out word that maybe Pharaoh discovers this, and so he tries to, to, to cover it up, and essentially Moses just runs away. He takes off, because what's going to happen if somebody in Pharaoh's court has found out that he murdered an Egyptian? So he is a prodigal. He is running and fearing for his own life as a murderous fugitive. You didn't learn that part in Sunday school, did you, right? We just kind of brush over those parts, right? Moses was a wreck. Moses was a disaster of a person, and yet God still called him. So when we read that Moses is now tending the flocks in Midian, 
If you were reading that and you knew anything about the geographical area at the time, that's essentially code for Moses was in the middle of nowhere, okay? Moses was in the middle of nowhere. You know when you're driving to Colorado and you get to, like, western Nebraska? Nothing against anybody from Nebraska, okay? Just picture that. That's Midian, okay? I'm going to get some emails this week from Nebraska people, right? Football team needs help. Okay, so... So here's Moses, he's in the middle of Nebraska, I mean Midian, and he's doing the most ordinary job that you could do. He is tending sheep, okay? He's an ordinary person doing one of the most ordinary tasks you could do, and he's trying to escape his past. He's feeling ordinary, doing a job that he feels like doesn't have any significance, wondering if he'll be able to overcome his past and live a meaningful life. It's really too bad the Old Testament isn't applicable to our lives at all. I'm guessing there's a few of you, and that's like, um, John, that's exactly where I'm at. I'm feeling ordinary in a job that seems insignificant, trying to overcome some mistakes I've made in my past, wondering if I'm going to do anything meaningful with my life. Oh, wait, maybe Moses' story is your story. So it would be important to focus in. Now, in verse 1, it even says that Moses was with his flocks on the far side of the wilderness. Everybody say far side. Not the cartoon, the far side of the wilderness. Has anybody ever been there? Not physically, but you ever feel like you're on the far side of the wilderness? <laughs> Maybe you are in your life right now. I don't know where I am. My life's messed up right now. I'm on the far side of the wilderness. I'm ordinary and my circumstances are ordinary. If I'm Moses, I'm guessing if you're Moses, you're probably thinking, well, I had my chance to be great and I blew it. I murdered some guy, so now I'm running for my life and I'm out here, I'm trying to avoid my past. I'm trying to make ends meet and survive another week and this is the way that things are gonna be now and I wonder if we don't just think the same thing sometimes. Whatever season of life or circumstances you're in today, I'm guessing that at one point or another, and maybe you're there today, this morning, and you're thinking about your life, this is the way things are now. This is, this is what it's going to be. This is my current experience of God. This is my current experience of my, my life and my family. And so I guess I'll just try to survive another week of work. I guess I'll just try to have a somewhat happy marriage. Because everybody knows it's never going to get back to the way it was when you got married. I did a wedding uh, for a young couple in our congregation yesterday afternoon <clears throat> outdoors. It was a glorious experience. <laughs> 45 degrees and raining uh, with all of our, our, our Mary Poppins umbrellas. And I looked at this couple, and I didn't say this out loud, but all I could think was, I hope that 50 years from now you are just as much in love as you are right now. Because they didn't let the rain spoil their day. But some of us think that way. This is the way things are going to be. I'm always going to be trying to manage my kids. I'm always going to be trying to, to get along. I'm always going to be trying to be a better Christian. I'll never overcome this habit. I'll never overcome this addiction. This is just the way things are now. And it's dangerous because that sneaks into our faith too. Well, I guess I kind of knew what to expect. I came to worship this morning. We're going to sing a few songs and John's going to talk for a while and then we're going to go home. And we just put the God of the universe in a box. <laughs> and maybe that's what Moses was doing as well and how quickly Moses forgot who it was that was writing his story. Who it was that was writing his story, that he wasn't some ordinary Hebrew. The first thing we learn in this story is that Moses is pretty ordinary, one of the most unlikely people to be used by God. And yet the second thing we learn in this story, if you're keeping score at home, you want to write this down, God 
always breaks in to our ordinary. Whatever you have labeled ordinary in your life today, God always breaks in. Watch what happens next. Verse 2, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over. First, I, I think what they omitted maybe when they were writing the Bible here is Moses went, holy cow! Then verse 3, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn. I'm guessing he was not that calm. I'm going to go check out this burning bush, right? Sometimes maybe there's something else in there. And sometimes in order to get the, the full power of these stories, you don't just read about it, you want to experience it. So we watched a couple clips last week from the movie uh, Prince of Egypt, which is several years old now. Uh, but as you're watching this, put yourself in Moses' shoes. You are an ordinary person in ordinary circumstances in the middle of nowhere, and yet God shows up. Take a look. Could it be that God showed up in a burning bush not just to prove how powerful and amazing he is, but what if God showed up to Moses in the burning bush to show and prove that there is no place and no one too ordinary where he can't show up? There is no place that is too ordinary where God cannot show up. You see, history would tell us that Moses had probably been tending sheep in this region for 40 years. This is a long time, which means he's passed by this exact spot thousands of times. Moses is an old man. How many times has Moses stood in that exact place? For those of you that have had the same job for 10 or 15 or 20, 25 years, you probably drive the same route every day to work. Or you walk the same route, and you probably pass by these places that are like, that's ordinary. And yet, God shows up. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. Let's read that last part together. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. What if, <laughs> could it be that the ground has always been holy, and Moses is just now becoming aware of it? What if God was saying to you this morning, don't label ordinary what I've already called holy. Don't label something in your life ordinary that I am calling holy. What if your ordinary days at work or your ordinary interactions with a coworker, your ordinary interactions with the, the families at your children's school or your kid's soccer game or your night out with friends are actually places where God is already present, that they are sacred places. There's no like, well, there's my church life and then there's my regular life, right? There's my church friends and then there's my other friends. God says all of it's holy because I'm already there. It's holy, it's sacred because I'm already there and working. Later on in the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named Jacob who has a dream that he has an encounter with God and he wakes up and I love what Jacob says and it ties in perfectly with Moses as well. Jacob says this, surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. How many times could you look back at a moment or a season in your life, a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago for some of you, and at the time you were like, God, where are you? And why aren't you coming through? And why is life so hard? And why aren't you answering my prayers? And now in hindsight, looking back on it, you go, surely the Lord was in that place. And I was not aware of it. 
God has a great track record, as we sang about this morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because the danger is, is when we get so familiar with something, like a certain place in the wilderness and a certain bush or a certain way of doing life or seeing our life, we become so familiar with something or someone, they can become common to you and you forget the depth and the beauty and the richness of what's there when it's, it's right there. It's in your face every single day and you just start taking it for granted. I was thinking about this in, in maybe a more uh, relational sense. Many, many years ago, this would have been 10 or 11 years ago, uh, while my wife Tiffany and I were engaged, we went to a family reunion. Any family reunion fans out there? Anybody? Okay. Three of you. The rest of you must be introverts like me. Okay. Uh, so we're at a family reunion and you either love them or hate them. Uh, but this was a good one. And it happened to be the first time that I was introducing my then fiance, now wife, to uh, the extended family on my mom's side. So we're up at the farm in Minnesota. And so she's meeting all the cousins and, and, and aunts and uncles and, and, uh, and relatives. And so I'm over at the, the drink table getting a drink. And some of my cousins come up to me uh, that are around my same age and they go, John, because I've been introducing her, and they come up and they say, John, she's your fiance? And I go, yeah? Like, what? And they're like, wow, she's really beautiful. (laughs) And so I'm starting to get a little insecure going, okay, what are you you saying? Like, I know, but does that make me chop liver or something? Like, are we not compatible? Are we not in love? I mean, is it just like a schmuck? and this beauty queen or something, like, I'm getting a little insecure about this. And so the next day, I go home, and some of you have done this, and you don't want to admit it. I'm going to admit it to you right now, that you have looked at a picture, maybe, of you and your significant other, or you and your spouse, and done the little comparison game of, like, does he really belong with her? Like, are we a good fit together? And so I was trying to figure this out and kind of look at it from an objective, you know, third-party position. And so I got one of our engagement pictures that we'd taken a few months ago, and because when something's so familiar to you, you get used to it, and I closed my eyes and I look at it and I said, okay, when I open my eyes, I'm going to look at it objectively and say, do these two people go together? Or is one significantly more interesting looking than the other one? Okay? And so I closed my eyes and I said, one, two, three. And I opened my eyes and I looked at our engagement picture and I said, what is that guy doing with her? More importantly, what is she doing with him? How did this couple end up? Like, I totally married up, Right? but I just forgotten because we've been dating for seven years because she couldn't commit. (laughs) See, that's not true. But I kept thinking, I just know her so well. And of course, I I think she's she's beautiful. And and I've realized since then, of 10 years of marriage almost now, it isn't half the battle of marriage remembering how amazing that person is that you see every day. I wanted to tell that couple that I married yesterday that, don't let this become normal. I looked at him, I said, don't stop dating each other. Don't stop pursuing, that's the worst thing that happens in marriages is people stop dating. And you forget, and then you have to go back and you go, oh my word, I totally married up. She's amazing. My wife went on the women's retreat with some uh, women here up to Riverside Bible Camp the last couple weeks, and over the last week, I have had multiple women come up to me and say, John, I had a great weekend. Do you know how amazing your wife is? And I'm like, yeah. And then the next person, John, I had an amazing weekend. Your wife is so awesome. I'm like, okay. And by the sixth or seventh person, I'm like, I get it already. I'm chop liver compared to her, right? I totally married up. But we, I, I know that, but I need to be reminded. And so why would it be any different in our relationship with God? 
We know the good news. We know the amazing things that Jesus has done on the cross that he rose from the grave, but we need to be reminded weekly, that's why we come to worship. That's why I'm so thankful that so many of you are here today. Because I get it. It's really easy to wake up in the morning or a Saturday night or whenever you come to worship, it's really easy to wake up and go, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to church today. I don't think I'm going to go to worship today. But some of you have thought that, and then you've come, and you walk out those doors going, I really needed that. Thank you. I, I really needed that. And it has nothing to do with Pastor John. It has nothing to do with the worship team. It has everything to do with the fact that surely the Lord was in this place. And you were doubting it, and maybe you were not aware of it. And that's why we need to come to worship every week, to be reminded of that. Just like I needed to be reminded of the most amazing thing in the world, that person in the world that I get to live with every single day, and I had forgotten. Sometimes God needs to break into our ordinary and shake us up a little bit to say, wake up! (laughs) You know the greatest news in the world. Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again. Surely the Lord was in this place, and you were not aware of it. Maybe God, is, maybe God is putting burning bushes in front of us all the time. Looking at your spouse in the eyes. Getting down on the floor and playing with your children. If your children are older, giving them a call and having a conversation with them. God is always showing up. A word of encouragement from a friend. Maybe a burning bush is one of you is going to have the courage to come up and get prayed for after the service today. And somebody's going to bless you and pray for you. And say exactly what you need to hear. Maybe for some of you, it was yesterday morning when you walked outside in the morning and got that first breath of that cool, crisp fall air. Maybe burning bushes are everywhere and we're just not aware of them because we think they need to be some big, powerful thing. Whenever God shows up like he does in Moses' story, it's for the purpose of calling us out of the ordinary and into something extraordinary, into his story. And that's how the story continues. God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush. Verse 9, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and God says, I'm tired of this. And so he calls on Moses. He says, now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. In other words, you might have thought, Moses, that your most significant days were over, but I've got something else in mind. Some of you think that your best days are behind you. And God says, you haven't seen anything yet. Okay, your kids are out of the house. God says, now we're just getting started. Because now there's people that are younger than you that need your experience and need your wisdom. You're not done yet. Your best days are not behind you. And so it'd be easy to stop there and think, okay, so this is where the story starts not being so applicable because Moses is Moses. And God put this calling on his life and to to lead his people. And Moses is going to go on to star in his own movie. And even Charlton Heston is going to play him. And it's going to be great. And like, I can't can't relate with that because Moses is this biblical hero and I'm not. Moses had this amazing calling and I don't have a calling. I don't know what you think of when you hear that word calling or this person found their calling or you should go find your calling in life. Sometimes we think that it's got to be something extraordinary or some, something, that a grand vision or purpose that some people, if they have, have enough luck or if they pray hard enough or, or maybe they're doing something life-changing, then they find their calling. But there's a lot of you that are here this morning that are like, I don't have a calling. I got a job, it pays the bills, and I got a mountain laundry at home. That's my calling right now. And sometimes we think, well, we don't have one because it doesn't look like somebody else's. But we often forget, and what Moses didn't realize at the time, well, this is where we think, oh, our story is not like Moses's. Well, what Moses didn't realize at the time is that God was telling him his story 
through the burning bush. The burning bush by itself is not a weird sight, but this is a dry, hot climate, and Moses has probably saw dozens of burning bushes as a shepherd. The difference with this one is that it didn't burn up. And maybe God is saying to Moses, I'm going to take you, something ordinary, a bush, I'm going to put it under intense pressure and heat, a fire, because you know what something else fire does? It refines. And I'm going to refine you, Moses, as I've been doing for the last 40 years in the wilderness. But you're not going to be consumed. Why? Because God's in it. Some of you feel ordinary. You're under intense pressure and you're being refined right now. And God says, you will not be consumed by whatever you're facing in your life. Why? Because I'm in you. You will not be consumed. What if it, when it comes to finding our calling, what if it's not what you do that makes you significant? It's who's called you. What if it's not what you do and how insignificant you think that is? It's who's called you. Point number three from Moses' story, everyone has a calling. You have a calling. It might not look like somebody else's, and that's the point. At what point did you start letting all the other voices around you decide for you what's significant or not besides the God who created you? And yes, for some people, their callings will take them to high-profile positions or to to professional ministry or to, to work in a church or to be a missionary or even to be famous. But in the kingdom of God, great things happen more often than not behind the scenes. Great things happen more often than not behind the scenes. Sometimes when I just need to chill, I hop on Twitter and I look at what other people are saying and try to get some ideas for things. And, and most often than not, it's just kind of like, I don't know, just going into my nothings box and doing it. But the other day I was on Twitter and I saw this exchange between these two guys that I follow. I don't know who they are. And this was the Twitter exchange. This guy says, 20 years ago, I just, I wanted to change the world. Now I just want to make it to the end, having been faithful to Jesus, my family, and my church. And then look at this guy's response. And that's how you change the world. See, this guy thought he understood significance. He thought he understood calling. I got to be Moses. If I'm not a Bible hero, if I'm not a pastor, if I'm not a missionary, I can't do anything great for God. And I love this guy's response. You got it. Exactly. That's what significance is. Your life is anything but ordinary, God says, and step into it. If only we believed that. If only we lived like that was true, because the story continues, and for the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, God and Moses go back and forth and back and forth. I'm not going to read through all of that, but you can read it. Most of chapter 4 is Moses having a temper tantrum and going back and forth with God, and it's like trying to get your toddler to sit down and eat or something. Moses has every excuse in the book. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And finally, in chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says this, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I know the exact feeling. And I tell the band back this a lot backstage, said, I'm a little nervous today to preach. And like, seriously, John, you've given like 800 sermons. I'm nervous. And if I'm never not nervous, that's bad because that means I don't need the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, it's about me and not him speaking to you. And so I know exactly how Moses feels. But here's the thing. When you're in that moment and you're facing a limitation, do you look at yourself or do you look at what God wants to do through you? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about Moses. And I believe that in verse 11, it's safe to say this is when God pulls out the God card. Okay? 
Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight and makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? If that's not the mic drop of all mic drops, I don't know what is. God's like, boom, and I'm out, right? You don't think that you can do this? I created you. I gave you a mouth. If you read chapter 3 and 4, Moses is excuse and excuse and excuse and excuse. And I'm reading that as I'm preparing for this week, and so much of me is just going, at some point, I just want to say to Moses, Moses, would you just trust that God is going to take care of it? Would you just trust that God is going to take care of you? (laughs) And then God said, yeah, John, why don't you believe that? Oh, yeah, maybe that was actually for me to hear. Would you just trust that God's going to take care of you? God put a calling on each one of our lives. And yet, for some of us, we've come up with every excuse in the book, just like Moses, of why that can't happen. Sorry, God, we can't get serious about church and our faith right now with our kids because we're in that busy season of life, you know, where you just kind of go along with the crowd and become an Uber driver for a few years, and we just shuttle our kids around. And sorry, we can't do the faith thing. What happens when the few years when the kids are out of your house? You missed it. You missed, sorry, God, we can't do it. So, uh, sorry, God, I, I can't really pursue my spouse right now because I'm in this busy season of work. And then you look back and the busy season at work has lasted for seven years. And you've drifted. Nobody sets out to drift in marriage. You just drift. Sorry, God, I, I can't pursue my spouse right now and live into my marriage covenant that I made. Things are a little busy at work right now. Sorry, God, I can't go after that dream that you put on my heart because, well, I don't have all the details and you haven't laid it all out for me. Sorry, God, I can't lead a small group right now. I can't disciple those women that you put in my life, even though I have leadership gifts, God, because I just, I don't, I have some doubts about God and I don't have it all figured out yet. I'm still struggling a little bit. I'm not making this stuff up. A couple weeks ago, I was having one of these weeks. Yes, your pastor was having a week where I was like, you know what? God, am I hearing you right? (laughs) I feel like I've heard you and I was just kind of being a coward. (laughs) Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? God, you put something on my heart and I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I have the guts to follow through, if I have the courage to do this. And I read various devotionals in the morning, and I was feeling that way, and I was like, I don't want to go to work today because I don't feel like a leader. I don't feel like, a, I feel like a fraud, like I don't have what it takes. Because I feel like sometimes I'm kind of leading with a limp. And I was reading through one of my devotionals, and God bless Beth Moore. Anybody ever done a study by Beth Moore? She scares me when she teaches. She's intense, Right? She gets after it, and she wrote, I love this, in one of the devotionals that I'm reading, and I love that she starts out the the devotional for the love of God. Sometimes I think when God needs to get our attention, he probably says, for the love of God, listen to me, okay? And this is what she says, for the love of God, accept where he has you. How many confirmations does it take? You're expending needed energy, craving certainty. Is he not sovereign? Can he not see? And this one just cut me to the core. Compulsive self-doubt isn't humility. Yeah, your reluctance is undermining your effectiveness. Just serve already. I mean, this was God speaking through Beth Moore to me, but it might as well have been God talking to Moses. So hear me say this. If you are avoiding what God has already asked you to do under the disguise of self-deprecating humility, it's not humility, it's doubt in God. It's doubting who God says you already are. 
And we have this little Midwestern kind of like, aw shucks mentality. God could never use me. God hasn't put a calling on my life. God could never use me after my past and my mistakes and all of those things. And God says, it's not humility. It's never been about you. So stop looking at you and look at me. Get your eyes off of you and your limitations and your mistakes. Look at me, God says. And that's what he says to Moses. It's not humility to live in constant self-doubt. God has given you a calling. Step into it. You are anything but ordinary. Yes, I'm getting passionate because I'm preaching to myself. Maybe there's one other person that needed to hear that too. For some of you, the biggest hurdle into following God's call in your life and to live for him is not that you feel ordinary. It's that you feel disqualified. That's where Moses ends up. Send somebody else, God. Can you imagine if God would have said, okay, Moses would have missed it. And some of you are going to miss it because you think you're disqualified because of your past or mistakes that you've made or even something that happened to you, something that somebody else did to you, abuse that happened to you. And I think after the last few weeks that it's been in our news and our government and our culture, I think it's really important to say, if that's you, I want you to know that we as a church hurt with you because we have a Savior that suffers with us. And we hurt with you. And secondly, this is a safe place to not deny the pain and pretend that it didn't happen and how serious it is. This is a place to heal. This is a place to be real. And it's also a place, hear me say this, to let God write a new chapter to your story. You might be a product of your past, but you are not a prisoner in the name of Jesus. You, amen? Something I love about Jesus is that the truth always wins. The light always exposes the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, so we stick close to him at times like this. We don't know what to think or what to believe or who to believe. We're a church that listens, that suffers with you, that doesn't deny the pain, and we let God write a new chapter to our story because we have a God who says, don't forget who Moses was when I called him. (laughs) A prodigal murderer with no self-confidence, and you think God can't use you. (laughs) He ends up delivering a nation from slavery into freedom, and we still doubt that God could use us. Kind of joke about this in a lighthearted way, but it's so evident. If you ever think that you're too old or you've made mistakes or or you're too broken or messed up to be used by God, where are you sitting right now? You are sitting in a car shop that was a dump hole, okay? You are sitting in a former car dealership. So don't tell me that God can't take ordinary things and use them to do extraordinary things to pack out a former car dealership for church on a Sunday morning, amen? So don't tell me that you're too ordinary, We're going to renovate an insurance building according if everything goes well next weekend and we would love to have you here to vote so that we can take something else that's ordinary. What's more ordinary than a car dealership? What's more ordinary than an insurance building that God is going to use and is going to be an outpost for the kingdom of God right in the heart of Des Moines? Amen? God takes ordinary things and makes them extraordinary. Never doubt what God can do through you. God takes ordinary things and takes them and brings them into his story. It's not about what you do that makes you significant. It's about who's called you. And God has called every single one of you. 
Let him redefine what calling is. Let him redefine what significance is. Some of you are like, John, that's great. It's Moses. Let me bring it down for you as we close. I want to end with a video of a mom, a young mom of three named Dawn. And for all the moms, uh, this one's for you. Uh, Nobody knows what that's like except you. But as you watch this, don't think about it so much of it, well, she's a mom and I'm not a mom. Ask yourself, what does success look like to me? And let Don's story remind you that success, especially as a parent, as a mom, can look a lot of different ways. Let's take a look. I love Don's honesty and her vulnerability, and I love what she's discovered that maybe success and significance are about being faithful with what God's placed in your hands. Earlier in the story when Moses is trying to convince God that he can't do it, God asks him this really simple question, but it's very profound. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses is like, uh, a staff? I'm a shepherd? God says, throw it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. Like, Moses, I'm going to use what I've given you. You don't need what I've given somebody else. You don't need to compare yourself to somebody else's life. God asks you, and he's going to ask all of us at the end of our days, what did you do with what I gave you? Not how did you compare yourself to somebody else. Because at the end of your life, God's not going to say, why were you not Moses? At the end of your life, God is going to ask you, why were you not my beloved child that I created? Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. What has God placed in your hand. Some of you this morning are feeling ordinary. Some of you are feeling stuck in ordinary circumstances. And even more of you, I'm guessing, are doubting that God has a call on your life. And the way that we're going to get out of that, the way that we're going to hear from God is by listening. Sometimes God doesn't show up in big burning bushes like we think he's going to. Sometimes it's like the wind where you know God is real and you can feel his presence even though you can't see him. And so we're going to close with a song and we're going to sing these words, God, come like the wind, come like the fire, burn in our hearts our one desire. And we're going to listen to God because he is still speaking just like he was to Moses at the burning bush. The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are we willing to listen? And so as we worship, let's listen to God and let's be fully present. And let's sing, let's stand, and let's worship together.